Amen again. Again, we are so happy to be with you here in beautiful Jamaica, in the sunshine and the warmth. Uh, and um, I'm looking forward to the rest of this week of prayer. Um, I want to just introduce the rest, some, other, some of the upcoming messages, um, so you know what's in store. Tomorrow night, we will be dealing with one of the most challenging messages of the week, and that will be the message on sex and sexual purity. Um, it is something that is shied away from often, but you do not want to miss tomorrow night's message. Monday and Tuesday at 2 o'clock, I will be giving my testimony in two parts. Because I'm giving it over two parts, I, I plan to share with you information that I normally do not share, including information on how Donald Trump was instrumental in the outcome of the religious liberty case that I had in the United States. Now, if you know nothing about this, then you really need to come. Uh, but you definitely don't want to miss those two messages. Um, and then on Wednesday at 2, I'm going to talk a lot about uh, the mind and learning and how to be a better student as well as um, how that translates to being a better Christian. Um, and so that will give you uh, over for the next few nights and days what we'll be addressing and discussing. So you don't want to miss those. But today we are going to talk on a subject I, I've, I talk on frequently if you follow my messages. And I keep saying I'm going to retire these sermons, but God keeps telling me that this is the message that the church needs right now. So we're going to go to our scripture reading, um, which is found in Revelation chapter 22. And I want to thank the pastoral staff and the IT folk for getting me this monitor down here. Revelation chapter 22, uh, verse 11 and 12. The Bible says this, he that is unjust... Let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Look at verse 12. It says, and behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. A message this Sabbath is entitled Character and the Seal of God. Character and the Seal of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Once again, Lord, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord, but upon that nail I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard today. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go back to a text we looked at last night, and I want you to follow me. I hope this week I was talking to um, your president, uh, Dr. Edwards, about um, being able to visit some of the classrooms this week. So I'm hoping to be able to come into some of the classes where folk are pre-med and nursing and so forth in the healthcare field and maybe even theology, but to come in and talk to you and, and just give some advice maybe and maybe learn something from you all as well. But this message is one that connects um, this, the, what we know scientifically about the mind to what the scripture says God expects. In Daniel 12 and verse 1, I read this last night, it says, and at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which stands for the children of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was, since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. What we're talking about to start off with tonight, uh, this morning, is actually the close of probation. It is a unique doctrine to Adventists, this idea that um, there's going to be a period of time after which your, your, your eternal fate is sealed before Christ returns. There are a lot of people who don't believe that, but it's very biblical. And this is one of the verses that tells you that. Because the Bible says that when Michael 
stands up. And where is Michael now? Michael is Christ, is in the most holy chamber of the heavenly sanctuary. When he stands up, all mediation ceases. He comes out of the temple, he takes off his priestly garb, and Revelation describes to us that he then puts on his kingly robes. He mounts a white horse and returns to earth in the greatest rescue mission the universe has ever seen. But the decision will have been made based on what we as Adventists call uh, the investigative judgment. A pre-Advent judgment that is going on right now. Now watch this. This is why this verse is so important. Because when he stands, he will make this declaration. No more will there be a mediator. And Christ will speak and say, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. In the original Greek, the just and the filthy doesn't just mean he that is just in the moment of time. But he that is just might as well go on being unjust. It means in the original Greek, he that is filthy, go on being filthy. Ah, but he that is righteous, forever you will go on being righteous. He that is holy will forever go on being holy. Let me tell you something. I get, I get um, feedback on our, on our, on our channel uh, for our church's uh, YouTube channel because people are upset that I preach that Christians should gain victory over sin. Are y'all missing this thing today? But if we were not called to gain victory over sin, how could this declaration be made by Christ while he's still in heaven? Then Jesus makes the proclamation that he is coming quickly. So that won't be a long period of time. That represents the great time of trouble that is going to happen. And embedded in that great time of trouble is Jacob's time of trouble. So Jesus is not going to worry. In fact, he says, he, for the elect's sake, he will cut time short. He will come to give every man according as his work shall be. You are not saved by your works, but you are judged by them. So let's look at this thing. We're going to jump elsewhere in the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 7, at verse 1, the scripture says, and after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. This is an allegoric showing in scripture of the fact that a, a God, since man fell in the garden, has been holding back from the earth the full ramifications of the effect of sin on this planet. We talked a little bit about the world being in crisis last night. If there were not angels holding back the winds of strife, this world would be in, uninhabitable. Verse 2 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having what? The seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. So a fifth angel jumps on the scene. Four holding back the winds of strife. And a fifth one comes on. And this one has in his hand the seal of the living God. And I'll, we're going to break down this seal in a little more in a second. And then verse 3 says, Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have done what? Till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. The Bible says that a fifth angel comes and this angel is holding a seal. And there are two parts to a seal. First part of the seal is the part that does the stamping. The second part of the seal is the ink which bears the imprint. Let me just make this thing clear. The seal that is being held that the fifth angel brings is representative of something we talked about last night. In 1798, the last days began and the, and the book of Daniel was unsealed. There's no coincidence that those words are used. The book of Daniel is unsealed and the Millerite movement begins and the truth begins to spread around the world that Jesus is soon to return. 
That seal is translated after the Advent movement begins in full and the church is organized that they understand the truth of the Sabbath and the importance of God's law. And I want you to understand that the seal in essence, that the stamp part of it is God's word. It is his law and definitively in the last days, it is his Sabbath. So what stamps the mind is an understanding of the word. What the, what, what the other part of it is the ink and the paper. And the ink represents your character, your ability to be molded to look like the law and character of God. And you never stamp with the stamp of royalty anything that is not deserving. You will not use imperfect paper or, or messed up paper. So the paper has to be cleaned up. Watch this. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 4 says this. And they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. So now we get two things out of Revelation that go on the forehead, which means that the forehead must be very important. The first thing is that this is where the seal of God goes. The second thing is that this is where God's name is actually written. Are you getting this? What does a name represent in the Bible? Character. The Bible is making it very clear that at the end of time, the people of God will reflect God's character. He is not coming back for a church that is filthy. He's coming back for a church that is without spot or blemish. And folk don't want to hear that message today. They want to hear that once they're saved, they're always saved. They can just continue to live in sin. That is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, this, this idea of the forehead is critical. And as I said, it reaches to what we now understand in neurological science. One third of the human brain, 33% of the human brain is occupied by the part called the frontal lobe also sometimes described as the prefrontal cortex. This is the most important part of the brain. The human brain is 33% frontal lobe. The next smartest animals are porpoises and chimpanzees, and their brain is only 13% frontal lobe. As smart as your dog might be, his brain is only 7% frontal lobe. Why does the, does the human brain have so much frontal lobe? Because in the garden, God looked at man and he declared that he would make man in his own image. What that means is that there is an aspect to the mentality of man that supersedes all the other animals. And it is the ability uh, to reason, and here it is church, the ability to worship. But I want to submit to you that if the devil hijacks your brain, he can get you reasoning wrong and worshiping false things. So what are the functions of the frontal lobe? Well, you look at it, number one on the top is, the, is that the frontal lobe, this part of your brain, allows you to reason. It allows you to make decisions. It gives you the, the ability to choose, the freedom of choice. You see, God is love. He could not force. There's certain things God can't force you to do. And one of the things God cannot force you to do, God cannot force you to love him. So he had to give you freedom of choice. And when Adam fell and freedom of choice went awry, that is why the world is in the condition it's in. It's not that God created a messed up world. It's that Satan polluted a perfect world. And this is choice. And if you look at this list here, you see problem solving, long-term memory. If you drop down to the bottom, you see social, sexual behavior, impulse control. All of these things are controlled in your frontal lobe. What resides there is your character. It's where habits are held. And when you repeatedly create habits, habits actually become Habits actually become characters. Spirit of prophecy says that. So why is this so important? Because the Bible teaches us very specifically in Isaiah 1 and verse 18, come now and let us do what? Reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as what? If the devil can mess up your ability to reason, if he can stymie the frontal lobe in your head, if he can do that, he can mess up your ability to be saved. I hope you're not missing this. There, 
the great controversy itself, the entire great controversy, the war that is going on in the entire universe is ultimately played out in your mind. Because that's what Satan wants to win. Because if you lose the ability to reason, to, to not be deceived, if you lose that ability, you will be lost. Here's what the spirit of prophecy is. Faith I live by, page 288 says this. What are you doing, brethren, in the great work of preparation? Those who are uniting with the world are receiving the worldly mold and preparing for the mark of the beast. Did you hear that? Look at this. But then she says, in contrast, those who are distrustful of self who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and are preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. I was raised Adventist. In fact, my grandmother's mother became an Adventist in Westmoreland, Jamaica. And, she, and, my, and I told you last night, my grandmother, they helped start the church in Bethletown, Jamaica. And my grand, being raised Adventist, one of the things I never got I never understood. I always thought the mark of the beast or the seal of God was something they just stamped on you like a fruit to say that you were ripe at that particular time. But you know what it is? You are right now preparing yourself to either receive the mark of the beast or the seal of God. By what you listen to, by what you watch, by the company you keep, by what you put in your body, all of these things are preparing your mind to receive one of those two things. There is no third option. Now watch this. Why is that so important? Because if you took the human body and you laid it out like the sanctuary, and I, I, I could put up the texts on, on that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you take the sanctuary message and you lay out the human body next to the sanctuary, it all lines up. Your digestive tract is like the, go, is like the brazen laver where they wash, uh, I mean, like the brazen altar where the uh, uh, sin offerings were offered. Uh, your circulatory system is like the brazen laver where they would wash, the priest would wash before he goes into the holy place. I can show you all how it all just lays out. What is important for our message today is that the frontal lobe, that 33% of your brain, would be like the equivalent of the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. I hope you all getting this thing. That part of your brain is the most holy place in like, it's just like the most holy place. Why? Because that is where the Shekinah glory of God falls. In other words, in our lives and in our minds, the Holy Spirit works here. In your mind, in the frontal lobe. And I want to submit to you, I don't have time to get to it tonight, but Wednesday night, we'll get to it on our subject Wednesday night, we'll talk about it. There are neurotransmitters like GABA, dopamine, serotonin, um, uh, and, and all of the others that the, we now know about, epinephrine uh, and adrenaline, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit will help to modulate when you allow him in. It is a powerful connection between the divine and between the neurophysiology. The most holy place of your body is there. That's where the Shekinah glory the, the, should fall. And you know that just as in the most holy place, there were the two covering cherubs and the Shekinah glory fell before that and beneath that was the mercy seat. It is here that sin is dealt with. So you, you must protect the most holy place of your mind. Now let me ask you the question. Could the priest, anytime he wanted, just saunter into the most holy place? How often could he go into the most holy place? Could he just wear whatever he wanted? He had to actually wash separately. He had to deal with his sins. He had to put on a set of white linen, and then he could go in only once a year. He couldn't just walk in whenever, and nobody else could go in there but the high priest. Let me submit this to you. If the most holy place of the sanctuary was so well guarded, so should your frontal lobe, so should your mind be guarded. You cannot just let anyone into this space. You can't just let anything into this space. It must be guarded and protected. To show you this point, the Bible actually points this out. Isaiah 59, 17 says, For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. You see that? A helmet of salvation. The connection between the mind and salvation. Ephesians 6, 17 says the same thing. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You notice that? Again, the helmet is tied to salvation. The purpose of a, of a helmet is to protect the mind. And then Paul really lays it out well in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. He says, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of what? The hope of salvation. What does understanding, what is at stake? Having the hope of eternal life, the hope of salvation do? It will cause you to behave differently. So, Satan will work on your mind so that you get the wrong seal. Really, you get the wrong mark. Because he, he wants you to get the mark of the beast. Which means that character is what's important. So look at this. This is Ellen White says this. From Education, page 225, she says, Character building is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings, and never before was its diligent study so important as now. Never were any was any previous generation called to meet issues so momentous. Look at this. Never before were young men and young women confronted by perils so great as confront them when? Today. I say this everywhere I go. This is the most difficult time in all of Earth's history to be a young person. No, no matter how terrible Sodom and Gomorrah may have been, they did, you could not use your cell phone in Sodom and Gomorrah to download pornography. You didn't have apps like, like Tinder and Grindr where people could just swipe and do sexual hookups. You young people are living in a time when it is most difficult to develop character. Which means you must be more diligent than any previous generation. We were in Berrien Springs, Michigan last weekend or the weekend before for a conference. Uh, and one of the, uh, uh, Brother Paulson writes, the, writes some books, really, really good books, really brilliant theologian there in Andrew, at Andrews University area. I don't know if he still works at the university. But he came and he said something profound to me. After I gave my message, he said, one of the things we have to understand is that it is, it is literally prophetic and what is called for that in the last days, wickedness would be so great. And I said, why do you say it like that? He said, because if Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish, that church, that last church that, com that comes right before the great time of trouble will have passed through the darkest era in human history and yet their characters will still be like Christ. And this is what will bring the controversy to an end because all of Satan's um, um, arguments that the law of God cannot be kept when the 144,000 stand up, the entire universe will recognize that Satan is a liar. But the scripture says, Luke 17, 21, 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Verse 30, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. People will not be thinking about character development when the close of probation comes. Do you know probation closed for Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire and the brimstone began to fall? Abraham pleaded with the pre-incarnate Christ for the city where his nephew Lot lived. He pleaded with them. But when that conversation was over, the, the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah was sealed. Ellen White says this, Adventist Home, page 403. Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. Did you, did you see that? Have you, you see what the filth they put on television nowadays? Look at what Ellen White says. She says, the mind must not be left to dwell at random upon every subject that the enemy of souls may suggest. The heart must be faithfully sentineled or 
evils without will awaken evil within, evils within and the soul will wander in darkness. Why is all this filth being put in the music and in the movies and in the TV and on Netflix? Why? And on social media? Because Satan wants to use evil without to awaken evil within. She says, she says, Satan stands ready to infatuate the mind and soul to pursue a course directly contrary to God's expressed will, that he may separate that soul from God and he interposes his temptations and gains control over the mind and the heart's affections. Look at this, church. This is Satan's studied plan to lead souls to turn from one mighty in counsel to the persuasion of minds who have no love for God, no love for the truth. We're going to talk about social media in a minute, but this is literally what the devil wants. He wants you to be influenced. And so he has risen up on social media influencers who do not know God. And many a young person is, are following these influencers. First Peter 4 verse 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and do what? Watch unto prayer. How does the devil plan to do this? Well, you know that one of the key things the devil likes is music. In fact, if you read his description in the book of Ezekiel, and in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was built with pipes and tabrets. Lucifer is a living, was a living musical being. He was the choir director in heaven. He knows music probably better than anyone in the universe, save God himself. So he is going to use music against us. Now, how does that work? Well, remember, we're talking about the frontal lobe. And what the science tells us is that when you listen to music, it bypasses the frontal lobe of the brain. Did you get that? It means that the reasoning, critical thinking part of the brain is bypassed, supplanted when you listen to music. And that message can get deep into your mind and being. And you hear the message and will become obedient and transformed by the message and not even realize it. Let me give you an example. I was working at the urgent care in Loma Linda, and, and um, a Mexican couple came in. And I was shocked because they were both Rastafarians. And I was sitting there like, a Mexican dread. I've never heard of such a thing. And I said to them, I said, how did you get into Rastafarianism? What do you think they said? Reggae music. How powerful is music? Mexicans become Rastafarians. And I'm saying to them, I, you know, I mean, I, I, used to, I used to eat at Bob Marley's house in Miami, and I, I went to school with his brother and stuff, and I know, I know some of the family. And I said, how do you become, I said, why would you be a Rastafarian? I said, you realize one of the main components of Rastafarianism is to go back to Africa. I said, but you're Mexican, and Mexico is right down the street. This, my friends, is the power of music. Start to do things you otherwise wouldn't do. In fact, the Kennedy Center did a great article, Your Brain on Music, the Sound System Between Your Ears. It talks about how music helps the human brain. Some of the research on music tells us this. Music simultaneously uh, stimulates the left and the right hemisphere of the brain. It boosts learning and information intake, therefore augmenting cognitive skills. But look at that last bullet, church. Learning may be increased fivefold. This is why it's easier to learn your alphabet as a child singing the song. Now, why is this dangerous? Because I, I've, I've spent enough time in Jamaica to know that this is an island that loves music. And I want to submit to you that some of the raunchiest music in the world is unfortunately put to the reggae rhythms of Jamaica. Which means that when you are listening to some of the artists that are popular today, you are listening 
literally subconsciously being indoctrinated into perversion. Oh, y'all missing this thing. If you're not guarding the frontal lobe of your brain and you're listening to this music and that music is bathing your brain constantly, especially when you tie it to the rhythm of the music that's there, you are being uh, drafted by the devil onto the team of perversion. Somebody said, oh, that's not true. Let me, okay, well, let me show you something from the medical literature. And this is one of the American rappers that's into demon worship. And I put him on here just to show you. You see the people come into the, on his shirt. The people come in as blue people. Blue is the color of the law. They go through a white door and come out the other side, red devils. That is what he's trying to do to you with music. And I forget this guy's name, but at his concert, all those people were killed in Houston, Texas. Right? And he says on the thing, see you on this. Look at the study. This is from the journal Pediatrics. 2006 study of more than tw- of almost 1,500 teenagers found that teenagers who heavily listen to music featuring sexual subject matter are more likely to start having sex earlier than those who do not by a margin of almost what? Two to one. Now, I want you to understand that the Journal of Pediatrics is not a Christian journal. I hope you guys all get that. This is a secular journal that has no desire to be Christian, yet they are saying what the spirit of prophecy says, which is, by beholding, we become changed. In fact, this raunchiness is, is so pervasive in music now. Uh, these artists make music that it literally is completely, almost, uh, 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 completely just, just devoid of any higher value. The study authors found that the pervasive message in such music, that of studly, carefree men and subservient sex object women, is reinforced even if it isn't closely paid attention to. Here's what the author of a secular medical journal, she says what she says. We think that it, the music, sexually charged music, really lowers kids' inhibitions and makes them less thoughtful in terms of their decisions. They're telling you to be careful. And, I, and I, I'll go through this real quick to tell you that really what we now know is that music has been um, supplanted. It's been infested by the occult. This is a book uh, by Peter uh, Bebergal, Season of the Witch, How the Occult Saved Rock and Roll. And I was shocked. I forget where I was down in Florida and somebody was telling me about some of the, some of the more recent uh, artists in Jamaica, some of whom are overtly occult here on the island as well. Uh, G. Craig Lewis, um, the preacher who did the D, uh, way back in the day did the DVD series, The Truth Behind Hip Hop, tells the story of uh, the group Color Me Bad. Some of you will remember there was a pop group called Color Me Bad, and Color Me Bad had a number one record all around the world, and the, rec- the title of the, uh, the record was I Want to Sex You Up. It went to number one all over the world. One of the guys of the four guys, there was two white guys, two black guys. That's what they call them, color me bad. And one of the black guys in the group found Christ and gave up his music. And he walked away from millions of dollars and decided he was going to be a Christian pastor. When G. Craig Lewis interviewed him, the pastor, former member of the group, said that when they made that song, I Want to Sex You Up, they brought a witch into the studio. And the witch went into the room where they were going to record the song. And the witch put a curse on the song so that when 14-year-old girls, 13, 14-year-old girls heard the song, they would have the courage to give up their virginity. He said at the time he didn't think anything of it until the fan mail began to come in after the song went to number one. And of course, the witches promised if they put the curse on the song, the song is going to sell. So the song goes to number one. And he says that they got all this fan mail, baskets and baskets of fan mail. And when they got the fan mail, almost every letter read the same. I am a 14-year-old girl. I am writing to thank you for making that song because it gave me the courage to give up my virginity. What are you listening to? Do you not know Satan will program your mind through music? I won't get into this. This is Baphomet, the half man, half female. This whole whole, uh, gender stuff goes back to the occult as well. He's half male, half female, half human, half goat. All of this talk about who is the goat and all that stuff, it comes back to this. 
In fact, if you remember from childhood, you remember there was a guy named Peter Pan, and you see Peter Pan playing the harp? That was Baphomet, whose other name is Pan in, um, in, in Greek and Roman uh, mythology. And you can see him there. He would lead little boys away by, with his music, with his flute. That's what he did, right? And so Peter Pan from Disney was actually that. And in fact, somebody said, told me that wasn't true, and I showed him this article. This is from um, the, the, the Israel Museum the, uh, in Jerusalem, and it shows you Peter and Pan from ancient Greece to Neverland. In fact, this thing is so deep that this guy, Alistair Crowley, I'm reading a book on him right now. He was the man who wanted to be beast. He said, I was not content to believe in a personal devil and serve him in the ordinary sense of the word. I wanted to get hold of him personally and become his chief of staff. That's what Alistair Crowley said. He wrote a book. He had a group called Thelema, and he wrote a book, the book of the law, and he had one law in the book ultimately, and it says, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do whatever you want. That's the law. Now, how has that crept into modern popular music. You see Jay-Z in the top left corner there. You see what's on his shirt? Do as thou wilt. And you see under that, John Lennon says basically the same thing. All of these people, Kanye West now says he's a Christian and he's having church services, but this is what Kanye West said at a, at a um, award ceremony years ago. He said, I sold my soul to the devil and it's a terrible deal. At least it came with a few toys like a Happy Meal. And you can see the Baphomet symbol on his shirt. You see that? I mentioned Beyonce last night. I, I want to I show you some more because uh, right now she's like the hottest thing in the world. And you can see the Baphomet on her, on her motorcycle dress she has on there, the Baphomet ring she has on, the images of fire when she's in concert. I showed you the lyrics last night to Church Girl. She, she literally believes that, that you know, she's, gonna, she's corrupting the Church Girls. And I talked about Billie Eilish last night, who's very popular. And she has this song, All the Good Girls Go to Hell. And I want you to see, this is one of the number one artists in America. And it says, my Lucifer is lonely. That's how the song starts. She talks about how the, God is going to want the devil on her side. Meaning that God is a woman and God is going to want the devil on her side. I won't get too into that because it's not a music seminar. I'm telling you this because if you're not protecting the frontal lobe of your brain, you are literally inviting in demonic influence. Rather than the Shekinah glory of God or the Holy Spirit taking up uh, occupancy in your mind and heart, you will invite demons in. In fact, Solomon gives warning here in Ecclesiastes 7.5. He says, it is better to hear the rebuke of, a, of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. How does the Bible define a fool? It actually defines a fool. The Bible says, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. And we're listening to people who are worse than a simple fool. They're not just saying there's no God. They have become Luciferian and are on the side of the devil. We sit and put it on our playlist and we put it in our ears, go to sleep listening to it, and then you wonder why you don't like coming to church and why you don't like sitting in church and why you can't stand worship. You know why? Because all week you're listening to demonic influence and the spirits that abide with that music all week that you're listening to do not like coming to church where the Holy Spirit exists. You can't stay in church. Parents are like, man, I, my kid used to love going to church. They used to like path on it. He's like this. Now they don't like it. What are they listening to? But the second thing, if you're going to protect your frontal lobe, the second thing you've got to do is be careful of the visual media. This is talking about television. Television is a powerful medium. And I'm going to show you some stuff from um, some research. I told you this is going to be some, some little bit of neurology here today. Um, there have been EEG, electroencephalogram studies, that demonstrate that television watching converts the brain from beta wave activity to alpha waves, which are associated with a dreaming state. Now look at this last part of this statement from this scientist. And a reduced use of critical thinking skills. So when they put in these themes into the TV shows and into the movies that go against your Christian values, you do not have the frontal lobe activity to defend yourself from believing it. 
So you sit and you watch the television. They used to call it the hellavision. You sit and watch this thing and you are being indoctrinated by the devil. And your mind is not in a place to defend you from the deception. Watch this. It gets deeper. This is also from scientific research. It says, research has long established that teens who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence tend to engage in those behaviors themselves. This is established scientific fact. What you listen to or watch will change you. But look at this. In 2012, a study shows that movies influence teens' sexual attitudes and behaviors as well. The study was published in Psychological Science, and it found that the more teenagers were exposed to sexual content uh, in movies, look at this church, the earlier they started having sex and the likelier they were to have casual, unprotected sex. You know why? Because in the movies, there's never ever bad consequences to having sex. They don't show you the, 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 the line outside of our clinic sometimes where people want to be tested for gonorrhea and chlamydia. They don't show you the unwanted pregnancies. They, don't, they definitely often do not show you the emotional harm and trauma we're going to talk about tomorrow night. Don't miss tomorrow night. The way that when you are just promiscuous in your sexual life, what happens to you emotionally and spiritually is tangible. We'll deal with this more tomorrow night as well, but I'll mention it here because there are dangers of pornography. And I'll just, I'll just do this tonight. Tomorrow night we'll get this a little deeper, so don't miss tomorrow night. But here's an interesting study. I've shared this everywhere I go. Watching pornography rewires the brain to a more juvenile state. Look at the summary of the article. I'm going to read this. From the eroding of the prefrontal cortex. Did you hear that? It erodes the prefrontal cortex. And tomorrow night I'm going to show you it actually shrinks the brain, pornography and masturbation. From the eroding of the prefrontal cortex, an area of the brain um, critical for impulse control to damaging the dopamine reward system, researchers evaluate the impact of viewing pornography on the brain. This is not Christian scientific literature. This is what the world is saying happens when you young man or you young woman begin to watch pornography. You are leaving the door to your frontal lobe wide open. And Satan can march in an army and take over your mind. In fact, look at what it says. It causes an eroding, a, a, a shrinking of the prefrontal cortex. The devil wants to shrink your frontal lobe because that's where the seal of the living God goes. And you ever wonder, we always gave a lot of reasons why we believe that the mark of the beast will either be in the, in the forehead or in the right hand. I want to submit to you that some people will get the mark of the beast in their right hand because they will basically have no frontal cortex left to put the seal of God or the mark of the beast in. The Bible says this, Romans 12. I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Your reasonable service. He says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul tells Timothy to study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing what? the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings for they will do what? increase unto more ungodliness I want to show you how Paul prophesied about the dance hall music the hip hop music the reggaeton music of today he prophesied about it here First, he says, you need to study to show yourself approved unto God. That means no matter how well you study in school, your first priority is studying for a relationship with Jesus Christ. My first profession is not that I'm a physician or a public health specialist. My first profession is my profession of faith. It is my belief in Jesus Christ. The degrees mean nothing if I'm going to be lost. But then he speaks to the music of today, the television of today. Look at what he says in verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto what? More ungodliness. 
Paul literally tells you what those scientists just told you in all of those articles I, I quoted. That if you turn your mind to that foolishness, you will be deceived. In fact, you will be lost. save the rest of this for the rest of the week, but I'm going to hit you with this last verse. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm going I'm to I'm close with this story. My mother was born in Kingston here in Jamaica when she met my father. My father was a wretch, and, and the reason I, um, Courtney and I grew up in different countries is because of the, the, the waywardness of my father. I'll just put it that way. But my mother found herself a single mother when I was two years old. My father left my mother and married my mother's second cousin. That's a terrible thing, huh? He had two kids with my mother's second cousin. So I have a Half-brother and half-sister are also my cousins. Now, this was very, obviously my mother was very upset with this. I was two, my younger brother was, was, was you know, just a few months old. My other brother was nine years old and my, and my father walked off and left her and she was very frustrated. I saw my mother go through the, the pains as I was growing up of being a single mother in a state like Connecticut in the United States with all of the stigma, with all the racial tension, with all the things that were going on, I watched her have to overcome the obstacles. But let me tell you something. There's something special about you Jamaicans because my mother stuck to it. I watched my mother get her associate's degree, her bachelor's degree, and her master's degree and go on to do very well in life. But most important, my mother had family worship. We would sit in the den and she would show us from the scripture. She would show us the stories of the Bible. And when we would ask sometimes, where is our father? My, my mother would say, God is your father. She was a pathfinder leader, master guide. She was a treasurer of the churches. She was phenomenal in anything she touched or did. In fact, when I was in medical school, she was one of the administrators for the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute, um, Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center, and the University of Miami Hospitals. She had risen up in health administration and was doing very well. And God brought me to medical school at the University of Miami, so I had four solid years side by side with my mother. While I was at Loma Linda, she started to have pain in her foot, pain in her back that no one could figure out. And they, she went uh, to her primary care doctor at the university, and they didn't know what was going on. So finally the pain got so bad, she was in such bad condition that they admitted her to one of her hospitals. Well, to Jackson Memorial, which is at the same system, but same campus. And it was Dr. Ned, an Adventist doctor who went in there, he's a neurologist, so this wasn't his forte, but he figured out what was wrong and diagnosed my mother with multiple myeloma. Now, multiple myeloma is a terrible cancer, church. It is a bone marrow cancer. And that means that the bone marrow grows out. So that means as the bone marrow grows out, all over your body where there's marrow, the bones begin to break. They're called lytic lesions or pathologic fractures. That means that there was no trauma, but your bone broke. And so she began to have these pains. And let me tell you something. Before it was all over, she had pain from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. How strong was this woman that my brother David, who, who helped take care of her in the last years of her life, he would, he would work, also work at the University of Miami. He would have to help her to the door of the hospital for her to go to work. She was such a proud Jamaican woman that when she stepped foot into the hospital, she would straighten up and walk as if she had no pain. Jamaicans are very strong and stubborn at times. Let me tell you something, church. They tried every treatment. I called the Mayo Clinic. I tried. I called the Cleveland Clinic. As a doctor, I tried everything to try and save my mother. At first, she was very sad. She was looking for help, trying to figure out how, is God, how can God heal me? She did not want to die from this disease. And I looked at the, the prognosis. It is not a good prognosis long term, uh, just a few years survival rates. And I was begging God to save her. But I'll never forget, finally, three and a half years after her diagnosis, my brother 
called me and I, to come to Miami, and I flew from Los Angeles to Miami, and I get to Miami, and my brother picks me up in the car, and I could see the sadness on his face, and I knew that my mother was in trouble. And when I got to the hospital where she worked as an, in administration, when I got to the hospital and walked into her hospital room, she was still helping her workers solve problems. She was working upstairs sick. I walked in, my mother was like this big around. She was so skinny from the chemotherapy and the cancer. Her hair was her natural hair. I never really got to see her natural hair. It was beautiful. She just, her natural hair had begun to grow back in. She was laying there, and when she saw me, she was so happy. And that weekend, church, we must have sung her favorite song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, a hundred times. And I remember seeing her in pain and she fell asleep and I went into the bathroom of her hospital room. I was so angry with God. How could God allow my mother to suffer like that? And so I went into the bathroom and fell on my knees and I began to agonize with God. I was yelling at God. God, how could you allow this? She was such a good church member. She served you so diligently. She raised us to know you. Why would you allow my mother to suffer like this? church, I heard a still, small voice whisper in my ear, she has been perfected. She has been perfected. And I was paralyzed on the floor of the bathroom of that hospital room. And it's all of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit came over me like a wave. And I realized in the moment, church, God had done what needed to be done. He had allowed what needed to be allowed for my mother's character to be perfected. And she had nothing to worry for eternity. But in that moment, the Spirit of God pricked my heart. And I had to ask myself, what about me? Where would I spend eternity? Let me tell you something, church. Now is the time to surrender all to Jesus Christ. Now is the time to give it up. He's looking for character development. He's looking for a mind that can be sealed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now is that time for us to surrender all. While my wife is singing this song, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, you want to rededicate yourself to him, you want special prayer, I want you to meet me down front making an appeal that as this song is sung, move out of your seat and join us down front. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.